0: Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Bryan, your host for this growing collection of interviews. In this, our 125th episode, the humanot, Alakazam, connected with one of his mentors, A.J. James. A.J. takes us through the day in the life of a street performer in London. He talks about getting his start doing gymnastics, where he discovered his talent for entertaining a crowd and his journey from acrobat to street performer. He talks about what he's been doing throughout the pandemic and how he got stuck in Panama when everything shut down. He shares stories about meeting his heroes, Skate Naked, working Sydney where he and Al met, and being a part of a double act. In an added bonus, we get a glimpse into Al's process when it comes to script writing for his show. This is a great conversation, peppered with some fantastic stories, with two veterans of street theater who have a ton of respect for one another.
1: So uh, so we're talking to AJ James. AJ, you're in London?
2: I am in London, that's correct.
1: I'm in Boston and this is stories from the pitch for the Busker Hall of Fame. And um and have you uh I know it's a pandemic, but like can you just take me through like what 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 is a what does a day look like for AJ James during a pandemic?
2: Okay, well I'd like to say I get up and run 10K or five K, but I now understand. I get up. I get up, make coffee, and then sort of go into a Facebook hole, where yeah. I just <laughs> resist the urge to um, to rant and rave. And then some days I don't resist the urge.
1: <laughs>
2: but to the past couple of days, uh, I've had some work, so it's been. Fantastic! I've, to, I've had to get up and go and do a task, and that's a game changer for mental health. I'm just like
1: yeah.
2: jump up really early, make, make breakfast, make a healthy breakfast, go and have a shower, uh, and get on a mission. Go out, leave the door, and I'm allowed to leave the house because it's work. It's yeah. great, <laughs> and yes. then I've been working, working all day. Something Tommy Everson said on a Facebook post the other day he said he misses wiping the dirt and sweat off at the end of the day and I was like whoa that's just it that's just it it's like you know the crowds and the, sh- the memories and all uh, the experiences are so sort of ethereal anyway that you can yeah. you almost c- conjure them up better with nostalgia and retrospect than then you can savour the moment of the glory of shows yeah. but that feeling of like you know I've Sweated today, yeah. you know. I'm like,
1: covered in yeah. Going dirt. home from the pitch, like you smell like sweat. You smell like sunscreen. Yeah. You got a you got a backpack that's heavy, and yeah. it's and your body's a little bit sore. And that that yeah. When you when you end up taking a shower after a hard day of work or street performing or whatever, it uh, yeah. really feels great.
2: <laughs> it does. It's it's bliss. It's like so in lockdown. I've been basically the same with first lockdown i kind of centered my pleasure around food because it's the only thing i was in control of it's like Mm. i can control what i'm going to put into my body that's the only thing in my life i'm seemingly in control of because the government's in control of the rest of it um so i would make i've been making really nice food but after a few hours hard work like when you just really you've worked past your hunger and you've and then you like and you take a break from the work and, oh, i've got to eat something like even the shittest food or most simple bland food you don't need any seasoning hot sauce or anything special it's like a boiled egg or like a piece <laughs> of toast the nicest food in the world and the nicest experience it's like you know just drink of cold water will do yeah. you know when you've earned it when you're actually thirsty from work you know? yeah yeah whereas with lockdown baking or whatever it's just like you know it's like oh whatever we're having another grand feast <laughs>
1: you know yeah uh, yeah there's definitely some some uh learning to be had with cooking and preparing food because you know like when you're uh, an entertainer you're always somewhere else and you're always yeah. eating different places it's like oh let's go check out that place let's go check out that place but then yeah. when you're at home you have to cook every day two or three times yeah. a day for a year yeah. i mean you get yeah. bored you run out of things to do and cook, and, and you get sick of eating the same stuff and it's uh yeah it's tough but it's great to hear that you're you're doing some work yeah i am um, yeah but before I, before that what were you, what were you doing most of the day well
2: i've been teaching parkour so i opened my parkour academy
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and it you know, back in sort of September, October, and it's been going from strength to strength, except the the very, very cold month that we've just had has put everyone off, even me. I'm just like, hey, it's too cold for me to teach. But, Mm. you know, um, but it's been really good. Um, It's not a big earner. I mean, when you're trying to grow a business, you've got to put everything you make back into the business. Yeah you know so but investment has been made into the business and um it's going really well except for the fact that we can't like rent a sports hall and and, or you know sort of um i can't even really plan for the summer necessarily i can sort of plan i can kind of go okay well i want to do a summer school on this day but like you know um and i can i can i can sort of rent a, a venue without putting a deposit down because they understand so it's not too bad i should i should be advertising the summer school soon
1: and so were you, were yeah, you doing it, your parkour academy and street performing before the pandemic yeah yeah
2: oh no no i was i was sort of, i've been teaching parkour for years for other people you know so right, this right. plan in my head was to. why aren't why don't i just open my own Parkour school. Why why am I, you know, what am I waiting for? Right. So, right. So that, um, that kind of kicked I, in the I, I, for I, you.
1: Yeah, it so, turns out I
2: was waiting for
1: a pandemic. <laughs> so how does how does like what you do now, uh, you know, in the pandemic, when you're working, when you're not working, um, in your day, like what did what did your day look like when you were street performing? Like what what was that what was that? Take me through your day when you're a street performer. Like most of the time.
2: Yeah, well, get up here in Phil's house, which he's a street performer, you know him. And yeah. Richard Hansen lives here as well. And Victor, who makes videos, he's a magician and musician, makes street performer promo videos. Yeah. So it's like a bit of a street performer
1: house. Oh, he lives there too?
2: Yeah. Awesome. And um, before, before the pandemic, Corey lived here, Corey uh, Pickett. Um, yeah, right. So... And his girlfriend, Emma, who's a musician as well, street performer. Um, Anyway, so we'd get up, we'd meet in the kitchen, have breakfast. Um, Some people would cycle into work. Some people would get the tube. I'd get the tube and um, and do the draw. Draws at we, what time now? It, well, not now, but back then. So I'm going to take you through a, a year, a day in the life pre-COVID. Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Year. But a year ago, let's say, Quinn was actually here. Quinn was in this room. I was in the room above this room. And um, so we'd go in, we'd do the draw about 10.30, unless mm. it was school holidays, in which case the draw would be 9.15. Wow. And, um, and then we'd spend the morning doing training. Like we'd do, uh, you know, stretching or juggling or practicing in the lockup or on the nor- in the North Hall. So you'd uh-huh. spend a few hours every day socialising with your buddies, yeah. doing some light cardio for hours just to sort of pass the time. You, you know, you don't think, oh, I'm going to do three hours of cardio. You think, oh, my show's at 12 or 1, shall I go home? Shall I stay? I'll stay. I'll do some practising. But you, every day you're doing sort of like four hours of light cardio, three or four hours of, at least two hours of light cardio in the morning. And then you're doing um, a couple of intense, you know, 45-minute workouts. Right. By your show.
1: And what, did, uh, what what does your show look like? Like, uh, you know, right at the end of, like, when street performing, obviously, um, was stopped. Like, what does your show look like then? And, uh, and after that, let's talk about what it, started, what it looked like in the beginning. How, how do you mean? Like what did you? What were you doing in your show? Um, you know, recently.
2: Oh, same old shit that I've been doing for years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I get a kid out and I balance him on my shoulders. Yeah. And and that's um I I, I, cut, I start with doing a handstand on the skateboard mm-hmm. as an entrance. Um, I do some fixed point with the suitcase. I get a kid out standing on my shoulders and that's the big journey of courage for the kid. So, you know, you try and pick the kid that's just on the edge of being able to do it rather than the kid that just goes, I've done gymnastics, and, um, yeah. you know, like I'll stand on your shoulders and go like that. You want someone yeah, yeah. who's like, has to, yeah, yeah. has to like be coached and then the audience sees my coaching craft and it, that goes on that journey. And mm. otherwise, it has little value. Little value. But if you get a kid that's like, "I'm scared," and you go, "Yeah, I know, but we're gonna get through this," then it's super valuable. Yeah. And then I get chained up. I've had years where I didn't do the chain escape. I, I went back to it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But um, yeah. But I, I I did. I don't think I had a table when I left. La-
1: so i've got
2: a table now
1: yeah right what do you do on the yeah. table
2: so then i just do the escape a bit higher up and on oh. the table then, it, then instead of a row of backflips, as i'm getting older, older i just do a back somersault off the table now nice nice and um yeah i just have to like shave an inch off the legs every year <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's funny and how is that different no, to how touch, touch,
2: no touch Touch wood my knees are holding up surprisingly yeah. very well surprising.
1: i mean you you keep in shape you uh you you do upkeep and strength training and that uh that's what we got to do as you get older you know
2: yeah yeah no that's my full-time job is basically upkeep on my body that's yeah. my that's my job you yeah. know so I do all day.
1: So how did how did it how did it start for you? What was first? Um, was it acrobatics? Was it martial arts? Like what, what came first?
2: Martial arts came first, uh, and then but I was I was doing playground acrobatics. But in terms of going to a club and getting coached, it was jiu-jitsu first, um, and then I moved to town and wanted to do martial arts they didn't have jujitsu. they had taekwondo and stuff which I later did but so I tried gymnastics and then um yeah joined a, a team and we did competitions and then we did there was another team that was this some people in both teams I was in both teams at once but I I ended up enjoying the performance more than the competitions a lot more yeah. a lot 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 more and how old like,
1: were you at this point
2: 12
1: right
2: and i yeah i couldn't believe how people would prefer to do competitions to get medals to have judges kind of go like that Mm when you could have crowds of people go yeah yeah for like not as good stuff like that's the thing it's like if you could like land a somersault and like you know fumble your step and like style it out and you could even get more credit with the audience for just having posture, style, grace, mm-hmm. and a bit of you know flamboyance or several fellows in a competition, just some like fucking middle aged fart go
1: mm-hmm. when
2: you've just given them your life and it's just like three people. And,
1: like, it reminds nah. me of um, my friend John Higby, he's the yo yo guy, um, and he used to go in yo yo competitions and win because these kids when they're yo-yos they would just be like doing these crazy yo-yo tricks no personality at all and he'd come out and do a show with tricks that weren't as good as those kids but he would win because he actually like entertained people
2: yeah yeah people's memory of my acrobatic skill is like way better than it actually was they they have this nostalgic <laughs> memory of me being like really, really good.
1: And I, I remember I, you you used to run in from the back, do a front flip, and then flip, 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 and then land like this close to the audience.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was good, but the, the, the nostalgia and, you know, you remember the personality. It's, you know, it's, it's I was never as good as other acrobats. There was quite a few that could out trick me
1: right
2: um but i would get louder applause for uh, you know a single somersault without a twist and other people would do you know like the breakdancers they're doing mad stuff one-handed yeah, yeah. handstand hops and shit and, and i'm like just you know handstand on a skateboard make it interesting you know
1: yeah so how did how, how did get, it turn get into more, um
2: get bigger, yeah.
1: How did it turn into street performing? The you know, um, from just doing being an acrobat. Yeah. Um, well, I
2: had like a two-time journey. Like the first time, I was sixteen. I was still at school, and I was to stay in school another two years. But just with a friend, we went to London, and we ended up uh, doing a bit of busking just for like pocket money. Right. Uh, we, uh, you know, there was no fear or shame because we, we were
1: yeah.
2: from Nottingham, but we went to London, so we, nobody knew us. That's funny. And we had some pretty badass skills, and we just rocked up and started chucking somersaults and uh, two highs and a uh, back backflip up from a two high. Rich backflip off my shoulders, and um, and we made like twenty five quid or something, and uh, twenty three quid we are at Glastonbury and there's these two guys in g-strings and skinheads setting fire to their hair blowing uh fire and doing backflip and blowing fire (laughs) like taking a swig of paraffin back somersault blow a flame upside down like these guys skate naked peter paul
1: peter paul yeah nice
2: yeah skate naked did you ever meet them yeah oh yeah yeah did you meet yeah yeah, that they so they were my sort of like, okay, that's how you do a street show with acrobatics because everyone, ever, I saw loads of street shows last week, and they were all jugglers or, yeah. I don't even think there was contortionist, but could have been.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's it, man. That even when you when I first saw you in Sydney, I should mention that obviously AJ is one of my mentors. Because you and JP and Lucky Rich and Dom Ferry, you guys were all there when I started in Sydney. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, and so I, I first want to <laughs> acknowledge that. But um, but you're there. that that's the one thing about you that was different back then too, is that you did a different show. You did acrobatics and the Chainscape yeah. and it was, and everyone else was juggling. And that's exactly what you're just talking about.
2: Yeah. And you you started to put more contortion in your show. At first, Mm -hmm. you were juggling and balancing stuff on your chin. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you put contortion in the show?
1: I would say it was probably like two years after I started Street Before. Wow. 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 It was was just, uh, yeah, that's the same thing. I looked around and I said, I look like that person. I look like that. I look like. I wanna I wanna do something different, you know? And so yeah. and then what do I have or what can I train that I can use in my show? And that was it. I was really flexible. And um, you know, that that just kind of fit for me.
2: Yeah, it really clicked, it really took you to a next level.
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, in the beginning I had the 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 weed whacker, I used to do that contortion trick with the weed yeah. whacker. And then I got the little yeah. bike. Um, someone someone sold me yeah, a little the tiny little bike. the
2: little bike was actually that is contortion, really. It's tough. The little bike.
1: Yeah, it, you got to get your you got you to get your heels up near your asshole.
2: <laughs> yeah, you have to be a contortionist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's not easy, but uh, yeah. So yeah, things things really started to happen for me then. Like you know, it was easier to get a crowd with that stuff than juggling. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you
2: you started big as well. You just, like, started with, like, a, a kind of motor prop that was high up. Yeah. And you played the biggest pitch you could. Like you didn't go, I'll just start on this little street corner <laughs> here. With, well, you know.
1: I did, but I guess you just didn't see it. But, but yeah, I did. I mean, it took me, I, I did Circular key for a while, and then I did Darling Harbour, and, you know, obviously I, I, I was doing the other pitch, like the Chinese Gardens and whatever. Um, and it, it took me a while to actually come and do the main pitch. But it was it was within the first, you know, six months it was, of doing shows. It was
2: in the first season, yeah. 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 yeah but by big that world. time,
1: you know, you helped me out. JP was helping me out. There was like Trevor Rooney was there and Sparky Mark and, Bike Burton, yeah. there's just there's so many. I mean, for me, it was just a goldmine,
2: yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. right
1: when I start, all these yeah. performers are in Sydney. I
2: think Sydney also is a brilliant place to learn as well because the variety of influences, so you had the Dutch, the Canadians, mm. the, the homemade Aussies, the um, homegrown Aussies, should I say, um, and the Aussies that had travelled as well. You know the Aussies yeah. that had gone to French Circus School or something, you know. And you had um, all on the same pitch: the English, the Covent Garden, but mm-hmm. also Trevor Rooney from York. Or in Covent Garden, you just get London acts, you know. Yeah. Like, and we 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 do get new blood in, but there's still such a a dominant. It's yeah. part of, of the of the homegrown standard Covent show. Whereas yep. if you go to Darling Harbour or Circular Quay back then, I don't know what it's like now, but, you know, you had such a, a, you know, a menu of different types of from all over and, the world, speaking different languages, Belgium,
1: fucking yeah.
2: African, you know.
1: And do you remember Musa? Um, he was a yeah, yeah, contortionist? I was thinking, yeah, he was from He's Ghana. like the first contortionist I saw.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, th- that's good intro to um some good stories then because i've got like a like two or three musan stories that oh, just really? like so interesting and i kind of didn't like haven't seen him for years i don't know what what he's up to but yeah. basically for people that don't know he's like this kind of seven foot tall beautiful Agarnian. it was not was it Gar? Ghan- yeah ghana or Gambio or something. yeah yeah He had like a gold tooth and he had an amazing range of movement really? and he did a really high, uh, high energy short lucrative uh contortion show
1: and right, he next did to, it ev- right next to everyone.
2: everyone yeah yeah he did it everywhere he hustled to yeah. fuck um and i sort of just didn't really connect with him in in sydney or london or other places just on the pitch but i turned up in france or rather he turned up in um nice um, on the south uh, the the Riviera and um, it was like autumn and we were pretty skinned, me and Sam were, were buskin, and we, we got threatened with a knife from like this Michael Jackson impersonated dancer, street oh, act wow. that was going, this is, my, this is my pitch. There was kind of, you know, the tourists had gone home and it was kind of wasn't season, it was like September, maybe mm-hmm. even later I don't know. and it was like, it shrunk to one pitch and he was going to have it. And he was going to have the one prime time on that pitch. Right. And I was like, you know, I, I, I like a fight, but like he, he's he's pretty committed and it's his town. And he's,
1: mm.
2: he, you yeah. know, he looks pretty dodgy. I'm pretty scared. I'm hungry tonight and uh, let him have the pitch. And I'm like, on my way home. And then Musan just walks up the street, like, fucking with his... And he sees me and then his big smile and his gold tooth, and he's just like, Jay, yeah. And I'm like, Moussa, man, fuck this is brilliant. This asshole here is like, just threatened us to leave the pitch. And he's like, cool, I'll take care of it. There's no problem. And he's just like, just, he's had so much sort of physical confidence. He's like, walks yeah. up to this guy, like, you are going to fuck off now. That's what's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. That was big problems. And he's just smiling the whole time at the guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like
2: in his, in his face and not at all afraid. And the guy just goes, okay, you know, just fucking leaves. <laughs> and then, then like, we did like loads of shows. And then he took us back to his ca- uh, campsite and he had like a caravan and like a Mercedes, quite a new Mercedes. Nice. Um And like and but um, he just cooked like simple food red beans and rice and like it was just really hospitable like he's got that hustly side on the on the pitch but like he was a true gentleman host you know
1: we all kind of we all kind of have that don't we we all have that little bit of hustle in in, inside of us and that uh yeah that gentle side
2: (laughs) yeah you've got to i mean it's like you've you've got to otherwise you'll get walked all over yeah yeah. like you know yeah
1: no it's it's funny like even just tossing coins or doing draws like it's all a little bit of a hustle are you gonna go i'll go if you don't go you know what i mean yeah yeah
2: yeah and um yeah and and then mustang gave us a lift to barcelona from nice so we, we got in his car and drove to spain um with him and that was yeah, that was so cool, and um, <laughs> but there's a connection because, like, about a season later, so that was sort of autumn, and then spring in London. Fast forward, we do a winter in Spain. Fast forward to London in spring, and I'm in Leicester Square, and I'm, you know, in London, I'm not going to be intimidated by no one. now mm-hmm. you know, not happening. But but this wasn't like a busker. It was, this was um, a kind of accident. I took the piss out of these teenage lads that were being a bit laddie, and that would have been fine if everyone if all the families had just laughed and made them feel small like small and they retreat but there was teenage girls that I hadn't spotted mm. so and another part. so when I humiliated the guys which I didn't really mean to just meant to assert my status but I sort of did a too far humiliate them and the girls did that cackle like you know, that's just poison to a teenage boy that's like, the girls are laughing at me. So they had to then have, like, blood to, like, even the school. Like, they'd now get me because the girls had laughed at them. So it's like... Yeah, so I was totally kind of like, oh, fuck, there's, like, four of them and they are going to, like, want to fight me and I want to do a show. And Musam was just... (laughs) like back just appeared like fucking gandalf and he's just like um just go just immediately he's just goes from behind me to right up in their face really gently again just like with these huge long (laughs) arms and he's just holding them and they're like swinging and he's smiling and he's just like um no you don't want to do this you don't want any trouble this this is not what you want to do you want to just like chill out and leave you know you know this ain't happening and he's like holding two sort of lads and they're like and he's just dead relaxed and they're like (laughs) okay we'll give up so that's my team he yeah he like saved my skin twice
1: (laughs) well he does have like seven foot arms yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so you know that's cool and and how like, when I met you in Sydney, that was 1996, summer, uh, summer ninety six ninety seven. 96, 97. Like how, how long had you been performing before that?
2: Um, I guess um, for three years, hmm. since 93, so four years. What year? In my did you eyes.
1: Say 90, in my what eyes, you say, 97? Yeah, it was the beginning of 97, yeah. In my eyes like you were like a pro like you your clothing looked great you looked great you had music you had like just really polished jokes and lines and and everything like and I don't know it was just the show was really well put together and you know and it's surprising to me that you were only you'd only been in it for a few years.
2: Yeah yeah I would have been like 22 or 21 22 Mm -hmm. uh, yeah four years something. But when you start young you know mm. then you 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 know you've got more energy you don't just do it once a week you know yeah. because you've got other shit going on because you've got uni or a job or so uh, you know you do it 24 7 you eat
1: yeah.
2: breathe you know i you know i those four years i'd spent a season in australia and a season in europe
1: mm.
2: you know so it and was I'm kind of, of like eight eight years you know right. eight years
1: Non-stop. In yeah. yeah and so uh, was, were peter and paul like mentors to you or you just saw them like who who, yeah. was, kind of, who was kind of like yeah, a mentor no, was, for you
2: yeah i saw them as like unreachable heroes and sort of you know like i didn't sort of dare speak to them at class they were like superstars they were like massive rock stars and i was just like you know everyone had heard of them and you know they were like really big out of my reach yeah. i was just a kid um, and i just assumed that they was like if they met me kind of like what are you what are you doing kid, trying to be us like <laughs> <laughs> stop <laughs> give up uh, but they turned up it was really lucky the way we met because they turned up in valencia in spain um in like ninth winter of ninety <laughs> three, four wasn't it 94 yeah winter of 94 yeah march of 94 and me and gordon do you remember the guy i was doing a double act with or was that i don't remember that no i remember
1: i remember you doing a, a double act with adam at one point um okay but no what did you do with gordon
2: he would throw me for a back somersault he would stand on my shoulders um he would do like blow up a glove on his head um, and in his solo show you m- might know it, he walked a slack rope but in a, in the double act um we did a passing did we do a f- passing routine? i feel like we didn't I feel like we didn't no we didn't do a passing routine i don't know why i think that <laughs> we just we did the pitch back but we it was like a 10 minute routine for that right. one trip
1: because
2: yeah. it was all
1: this well, wow, it's like any good any good street performing routine. You got to stretch it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so did you and did you and Gordon start together, or did did you meet like later? So we
2: we yeah that's it. I, how I met Pete and Paul. So I met Gordon in Barcelona, and we just he was busking, I was busking. He said, "I'm going down south." and, do you want a ride? Yeah, jumped in his van. Then we end up doing double act together. Mm. Then we get to Valencia, and we we've just been like busking Spain. And um, these heroes of my Pete and Paul flew into Valencia just for this little festival. This festival, mm. not little festival; it's huge. Friday de Valencia, um, and and they, but they couldn't speak Spanish that well, and they weren't like you know they've flown in so you know you fly in okay and you suss it and you connect with like oh english people that that now live in spain and know the score let's connect with them so they yeah. they bumped into us and like they were like you're our festival buddies you're showing us around right. i was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> i was like ah i'm meeting my heroes but like they're kind of going what's the score guys that's the so, like
1: that's the thing yeah. man when it all comes down to it we're all equal We're all just looking for a pitch, looking for a show.
2: We were just basically trying to be them, you know, Mm. in our in our show in the acrobatics.
1: Yeah, I saw looking back,
2: we weren't. In my head,
1: I saw you do a double act with Adam in Sydney once, Um, but no, I didn't see you with Gordon. What what made you uh, go your separate ways again?
2: We were just at a festival one time in Melbourne, and. I ended up doing solo sh- a sh- solo show because there were so many shows to be had. It wasn't like queuing up
1: yeah,
2: and yeah. for and you do your one big double act. But it there was just, you could just busk all day. So I was yeah. like, oh, I'll do the double act and I'll do my solo show.
1: Yeah,
2: And because I got to practice it and get, get like, just, you know, unlock a new... Mm-hmm achievement a new skill level like you you know you work at it so i just cracked a nut with it i was just like hmm solo shows in australia
1: hmm. <laughs> suddenly you don't have to split the hat
2: yeah and a du- the double act relationship was you know like really uh was you know frat tense it was like such a hard, marriage, huh? it's like a marriage to... without any sex you know you have to
1: you have to agree but, on, like, on <laughs> your ideas and if you know you got to yeah. both be in a good mood <laughs> one yeah. person doesn't want to go here one person doesn't want to go there i want to do a show i don't want to do a show <laughs>
2: yeah i mean it's a great endeavor to do and i, yeah. I love double acts. and i you know do it again and i love people that, that manage to maintain that mm. they're wonderful wonderful things and it's nice to share when you know the best memories of my life probably you know they've The big double act shows, the Australia Day shows, you know, Mm -hmm. doing a double act, you can really do a big, big, big show, you know, when when the show's big as a double act, you can hold it and you can have the confidence to just play on, you know, the magic.
1: Um, Um, I haven't done many. I mean, I started with my cousin. Um, I I did a double act with Space Cowboy once in Toronto and then... More recently, I did a double act with Lucky Rich in Boston, and really? uh, you know, and those those are pretty epic shows. But uh, but I've just always been a solo. I've never really known how to how to share that space. You know, it's it's difficult when it's you've difficult. always been solo. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's really difficult. Um, it's hard for me to go back now. You know, but um, I think it. It's probably best to kind of not try it on the street, but actually like work with other people on a stage
1: yeah. um,
2: or, or a gig, you know, where it's maybe outdoors still, but it's a gig and you can just play. Yeah. And and you don't have to worry about hatting. Um, right, right, right. That'd be my advice to so- big solo acts like yourself that want to get into more like collaborating, playing with other people is jam it where it doesn't matter. Because you're not you're not going to be thinking, fuck! I could be making a bigger (laughs) crowd. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just yeah, you're in the moment and you like make most of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I hear that for sure. And so, like, like in your, you know, early in the career, you would you would did you kind of cut your teeth in London and then you would go to Australia and then Europe? Like, how what did your year look like? I did, um. All the
2: pitches I could in the UK, I went up to Edinburgh, I did York, I did Chester, I did Bath, um, I did Greenwich in London, I did Leicester Square in London, I did, you know, um, every pitch I could, you know, mm. I didn't I didn't think of doing the residency thing or just yeah, yeah. Go to Covent Garden and learn and and just move in there. No, you know, it was just like all the best acts that I liked in Covent Garden, they Best stories were stories of them in Australia. So I was like, I'll go there, you know. Nice. And uh
1: and what? So you went first to Sydney? Is that the first pitch you worked in Australia?
2: Yeah. But first, I cut my teeth really young at 18, like be you know, very young. I just went to Barcelona on a whim. Mm. And I, I wasn't a professional street performer. I was still working in a bar and and selling. Double glazing and personal training, um, coaching, you know, and uh, and I just got a one way ticket to Barcelona and just like when I'm gonna busk in the winter, I you know what crazy fucking you know well, what's, what winter crazy like? idea, crazy what's winter like? winter
1: like in
2: Barcelona? It gets quite cold, but by the time it, it was like November, and I met Gordon, we just went down south and we just hmm. we just chased chased the mild weather.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you landed in Sydney, and did you see um, street performers that you knew there, or did you meet some new ones? I
2: yeah, I saw um, Damien, who I would met in Edinburgh. Um, hmm. I saw a few people that I'd met in Edinburgh. I mean, God, who, who was it that, that like knew us to kind of introduce us to everyone?
1: Well, I mean, the locals there were like JP, um, Sean Bridges. No, um, no,
2: Sean came, White Boy came after me.
1: Oh, did he, he did? Yeah,
2: yeah. I'd met Sean in England first and so when he came he came like a couple of years after me <laughs> yeah so he wasn't local when i got there right i got in there just before him um
1: <laughs> yeah damien and, um, and dom and jp kind of the yeah sydney, so i, sydney I hadn't
2: met any of those um except damien so mm. i guess damien gave me the intro must have been
1: oh you you, met, yeah. you didn't meet jp until sydney no Mm. and
2: maybe some maybe someone else from london came over as well yeah richie yeah richie basically knew me
1: yeah
2: yeah i already knew richie from edinburgh or covent garden or both yeah yeah. Yeah. so yeah i think richie vouched he definitely did vouch
1: me with melbourne i think nice oh yeah because he he was kind of a melbourne guy
2: yeah but i say that like you know but it in Australia back then it was nobody needed vouching for anyone yeah. that had managed to fucking get their asses to us to the southern hemisphere. Yeah.
1: And it was like was, the Mecca back then too, you know, was because there's so the many places. Yeah. Street performing was still new and fresh. And it was it was something people loved. And they I guess they still do. But it's uh, it just feels like the golden era, you know?
2: Yeah and, and Jay, so JP was working Circular key and we became good friends and mm. immediately he was still doing a, a degree at Wollongong University then so how yeah. young JP was he was like 18 same well no he was like 20 he's a bit older than me I think he was, might have been 21 or something <laughs> yeah what a scene you know
1: yeah it was it was an amazing scene center pitch that was uh that was the spot yeah. Yeah, that, that
2: stopped being the spot years like a decade later, wasn't it? It was not, not the spot.
1: No, I guess they, they banned it for a while and we all moved to the MCA and the tree um, and Darling Harbour, obviously. But yeah, that was the, that was the mecca. That was, you know, there'd always be three or four or six performers lined up there and shows were just back to back all day. And uh, that's where I learned a lot of just crowd building and crowd stopping techniques. Yeah. And
2: and sort of like cheating in, in as well. You could like wait for the ferry and then yeah. you would suddenly like be really successful. It was just timing. So you, as a hunter, you're like, okay, interesting. It's like, don't waste your energy in the midday sun when there's mm. in a gap between ferries because you'll die no matter who you are. Yeah. But if you if you wait for the right time then you can have a nice time in the shade with a ferry full of people you know
1: so i always tell performers that they should go and work australia because it really makes you a tough performer and your makes your show really strong so how did how did working australia change your show what what did you learn i mean when you come when you come back, you
2: realise how much you've learned. When you're there, you think actually the opposite. You think Europe is, Europe is this place where I thrive and I'm really adored by crowd. And Australia is this outpost that I've been sent to and there's like fucking five people in the whole town
1: yeah. and then
2: they're vaguely interested. Yeah. Uh, but o- only in really... St- a hypey unsubtle kind of like you know just oh uh, i'm gonna do trick you know just like oh but what am i doing here i should be in europe where i can be refining uh, the craft of entertaining yeah. but when you get back to europe then you realize how much you've learned like then you realize what you were doing there mm. and it is yeah it's remarkable because you then you you look at pictures and you go, this is fucking great. And the locals are going, oh, this it looks, really, <laughs> looks really bad. Looks really bad. <laughs> it's it like yeah. a fucking festival, mate. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and you're That's like, funny.
2: oh, I've got one person watching me. Fucking crack on.
1: <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, starting, learning there, you know, and then, and then going to, like, the first place I went overseas was Canada. And the first show I didn't do wow. that, I was like, oh, my God, this is too easy. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no wow. wonder you never left
2: North America. Yeah. Yeah. I never made it to North America as a busker.
1: What? Still, never? Never. Oh, not my yet. God. Not wow. yet. We have to get you over here, bro.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we really do. I, I made it to New York and did a bit of stand-up, so I have performed mm-hmm. in the States, but and have performed in central america so
1: mm-hmm.
2: i've kind of I've touched base on that continent did you no. ever make it to south america or central america or...
1: um no no I, I mean no not performing no no not even would you just look, traveling
2: would you like to like since the pandemic like and you've you know you're not on the same like conveyor belt where mm. it's just nonstop. time to pause and maybe think oh you know when it starts again maybe i just want to travel for yeah. like fun like that's what i've thought i don't mm. know if you've shared it but i thought
1: yeah uh, no, I... what would
2: be what would be great is to just travel to places where i want to go and then busk to pay for it rather than travel to places where that would well, be good that's bus-
1: that's what i used to do In the beginning, that's how it was, is I want to go check out this pitch, I want to go check out this country, you know, and over the years it just it becomes harder to do that, a because of like permits and insurance and blah blah blah, bureaucratics, and b because you're suddenly being invited to all these different places and traveling to just go and street perform. Yeah. You know, when you've got a good pitch at home, it's like eh. But that's it. So
2: many places that you're invited to, that you sort of think, okay, well, I'll go to the place that, like, I know is the best and that I can do the best. And yeah. it's not, it's not the adventure, you
1: know? Yeah, yeah. No, but I've, I've been finding that uh, recently, you know, with the whole pandemic and thing, I'm, I'm having to do that. I'm having to travel to places that I've not been before and try out new spots and new pictures and different places that aren't pictures and trying to do shows in places because the regular pitches are shut, you know. So you got to, where are the people? Find where the people are. Try okay. and make a pitch there. um yeah. So I feel like in
0: Brilliant. the last
1: in the last six months, it's been kind of like a, a, a reminder of the beginning of my career. Definitely, definitely. We we started the summer. We
2: kickstarted the summer by just a group of us um, going from bar to bar and working the terraces. Out, mm. You know, uh, in in a really busy part of London, but in a, it not in a in the town centre, but it just mm. on the canal side on the riverside
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, in these riverside bars and we just went from bar to bar like a group of troubadours and generally got paid a beer. But it was it was just like all these, you know, professional Covent garden acts that have got big shows just mm-hmm. basically busking the terraces like poor hippies on a backpacking holiday you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and it was amazing it was so much fun it was so rejuvenating it was yeah. just like you know um yeah and then like a few months later we're, like spoiled brats again you know <laughs> <laughs> walking off walking off the pitch going yeah you know it's not as good as it was
1: last. yeah <laughs> yeah so, so you did most of your work in in the UK and in Europe and Australia. Did you do a lot of like busking festivals and stuff in the in the UK and Europe?
2: Yeah, yeah, I just yeah that was what I was after. I was chasing those busking festivals, busking competitions. Mm-hmm. I just never made it to Canada, but um, I did yeah loads of uh, European uh, festivals, did like um, Avignon.
1: Oriac, uh, mm-hmm. Ghent festival.
2: Oh yeah, so. I went there. Yeah, you did. You do Ghent. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, that I think you. Really... I think you actually told me about Ghent. I, I had yeah. asked. I uh, maybe I asked JP. I asked you like where, where do you, where do you get the biggest crowds ever? And, and yeah. it was either you or JP that said, "Oh, you got to go <laughs> yeah. to And so yeah. I, I did. <laughs> yeah
2: amazing bleachers you yeah
1: get giant loopers. bleachers yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. so uh you know what would you say as a street performer um you do acrobatics martial arts you do a little bit of juggling um comedy what's aj james specialty what's your what are you best at
2: i guess coaching like the the kid to go through that journey of the courage thing just like pet talks like i'm a good pet talker yeah, right. so, so like it, it kind of starts with the like post covid as well like the the thing i was doing was just encouraging the audience just going it's okay to be here yeah
1: yeah
2: uh, with other people yeah. enjoying the thing um you're going to be okay so like a tour guide mm-hmm. coach you know like a soothing like uh, gonna be okay you know we can we're gonna get through this i'll coach you through it step by step trust me we're gonna get through this yeah, yeah. that's yeah
1: that's cool and that just comes from years of, of being a coach you think or years of doing shows
2: yeah i guess i, I you know it's like I'm probably susceptible to good pep talks still am or you know i i'm i am receptive to good You know quotes and affirmations, and that I still look up new ones, or you know get inspired by. Do
1: you have any favorites that you could recommend?
2: Someone's encouragement. Yeah, my my favorite um, strength affirmation for lockdown is, um, "I'm not the candle that fears the breeze; I'm the wildfire that wishes the wind." Mm. So, like, cool. The, the you know, whatever's coming at you, it's just gonna fuel me. I'm gonna be fucking outrageous. It's gonna be wild. You know, you can't keep me down, you can't suppress me. The more you try, the more I'll grow large, you know, as opposed to being a, you know flickering.
1: Um I heard a good one recently and it might it might be a good one for you is um uh, when you're coaching someone or when you're um training for something it's um forget perfection trust the process and trust your
2: coach yeah it's it's such an important one that that the i like a quote about that which is um don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good Mm. so and it just means that like you know if you just trust the process you accumulate so many more training hours And you waste so many training hours by having to pick yourself up back up from dejection if you're trying to get to what you consider to be this perfect goal. So Mm -hmm. I say like systems is rather than goals, is the secret to achievement, is Mm -hmm. is is you obviously you can't get somewhere unless you're aiming for it. So you've got to have goals, you've got to be like vaguely but it's got to be like vague, like you in a car it's like this car ride. Right? Well, yeah, well let's go that way. But it's about the car. Is the car steering okay? Is the brakes work? Is the engine work? Yeah. It's not about where you're going. Yeah. So it's your system. Keep track. Keep your eye on that. No matter whether you're successful. you could be. You could have just won the trophy, and your system is shit. It might have just been a fluke. Yeah. But and and you might have lost and come bottomed the league. And you might just crack the fucking code that's going to be amazing for the rest of your your, your decade or whatever, you know. Yeah. So
1: you,
2: you, but you keep an eye on your system and go, am I, you know, how am I monitoring, you know, for training, mm. like when you're eat what you're eating, when you're resting. That's what you you know, that's what you try and improve, not the trophies. You know, yeah. that will come.
1: Yeah, like uh, when I have an idea for something new I want to do on my show, I can picture it, and I can practice it. Um, and then you've got to put it in the show. And as soon as you put it in the show, you go, "Okay, it's not how I pictured it. I need to work on this, this, and this." And so you work yeah. on that, that, and that. And eventually, it it does look like that picture that you imagined in the beginning. So yeah, you can have
2: that's that a vision that's the healthy way of doing it and the unhealthy way of doing it is like to kind of go oh got this genius idea it's gonna be amazing and then you try it and it sucks and then you're like oh, i'm so shit writing i can't yeah. fucking work for shit. i'm such a terrible performer oh you know my life is, you know you're gonna waste a few days picking yourself up out of that instead yeah. of going immediately to even before you do it like okay i'll try it this way and it doesn't work I've got option two and three that Mm -hmm. I'll try after that you know so you already plan to like try a few different things before you review yourself
1: yeah that's cool man so so um back to Ghent uh maybe it's Ghent maybe it's not Ghent but where outside of a festival where did you do the best street show you've ever done
2: outside of a festival, so like like pure street. Yeah, easy question. You know, easy answer. It's got to be Keswick in Lake District, little town. It's
1: where you lived for a while, right?
2: Yeah, I didn't live in Keswick town. I lived, you know, good hours drive away. It's just this Mm -hmm. like little gem of a town. I wish I lived there. I I want to live there someday. It's a gem of a place. So yeah, it's like just a tiny little market town, but it's like really magical.
1: It's like a one day a week thing or what?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You can't even do Saturday because it's, um, there's a market there that all the, all the pitches are with markets. And um, on Sunday, you can just work Sunday or you can work school holidays, but not right. Thursday. Right. And Friday is pretty useless because it's like change over day.
1: And it's just but, like the shows are just magical there or what?
2: Yeah. You basically, you're it there's nothing else to do people in a really super good mood
1: yeah.
2: and if it's shit weather people don't care because they're mountaineers they're like yeah. they're all they've got um all the fucking Gore-Tex gear on they've got waterproofs and you know if, if it's raining it's better than when it's sunny if it's yeah. sunny people go f- for a picnic or they yeah. go for a
1: yeah
2: yeah you, it's just like ticketed show it's like like a captive audience but on the right. screen they're not they're not going anywhere you're not worried yeah. that you're gonna you're gonna bore them that is never yeah
1: it's not like there's the, nothing london. else to do
2: yeah london is the exact opposite london is like just gotta be fucking good
1: yeah yeah you know, yeah I know. um yeah i went to i did a street show once in sweden that was probably the best street show i ever did I was hanging out with um, Charlie Caper and, uh, you know, I was going to an event that was going to be happening there and I said to Charlie, like, maybe I can do some street shows and um, he took me to, like, Gamalistan and I did a show up there and it was okay and then he just, we're just walking down this main walking street and walk past the train station and I'm like, what about here? And I saw this big set of stairs, big open pitch, big, like, balconies and I said, what about here? And he said, nah, this is This is not one of the pictures because it's like it's by the train station. There's druggies and whatever. And and I looked at him and I said, "But what about all these people?" And he's like, "Oh, you can try it if you want to try it." And so I went out there and just did like the most crazy, enormous street show. Like I filled up the stairs, filled up the back, filled up all the balconies. And Charlie was on the phone telling all the other performers in town, "You got to get down here and see this," you know.
2: brilliant yeah. oh that's that's amazing that's yeah that's a brilliant story yeah um
1: but that's that also that thing of being an yeah, outsider I, and not not going oh this is the shit pitch or this is dead or you know it's just being an outsider and seeing something and going what's wrong yeah. with this
2: yeah there's so many so many pitches in everywhere you um yeah, you, you, you have your locals go. This is this is how it works. This is mm. where it is, and mm. you know the outsider. I've, yeah, I've done that in York. Um, yeah, I try I try and do it with Keswick, my own pitches, my own town. Like with Keswick, I'm like always trying to pu- push myself. Like, how yeah. about playing it from this angle? Um, and I got really comfortable for years, and then this yeah. uh, this this like climbing wall. Came and just took the pitch like for a whole season, and I was like, "Oh, Fuck, oh fucking oh, grumpy, right. grumpy, grumpy." I was like, "Well, they've taken my pitch," and that and I sort of did the B pitch like it was a B pitch. I didn't think, "Oh, let's turn the B pitch into the A into pitch." The right. I just went grumpy, grumpy, and then something clicked. Like, well, I think it was like a season later or two, and it was still there. and I was like, "Fuck, I guess I'll have to like." And then I looked at it, and went, "Ah." Oh, like yeah, I'll play with it, and um, yeah, and I'll I'll make this the angle, and and then it's like, huh, this is like now a whole new thing.
1: Yeah,
2: this is a whole new thing that's nice, and uh,
1: yeah, I would like it if someone and out like someone came through Boston and was like, uh, oh, this is where you guys work. What about what about over there? <laughs> you know, because well, I've looked around and I've tried all kinds of different places in Boston and uh, you know you kind of go where where you go and and that's you know what the results are and you don't have to worry about oh maybe the police will stop me you know yeah but there's there's plenty of spots to go and do shows you know what i mean when um, i was at
2: edinburgh only a few years ago and it was just so crowded on the mound, and uh, I just went. I was just going to do shows in the Princess Street Gardens. Me and the yeah. Bucket Boy, uh, Matthew, like, um, just like jammed a double act. Like, like, you drum, get us a crowd. I'll fucking chat shit, and um, <laughs> and we just like rocked it, smashed it in this beautiful pitch that had a much better view. Yeah. Instead of like queuing up all day for 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 like a f- completely rinsed audience that were just like. Yeah, we've been rinsed totally. Here's a quid because we've been rinsed by five fuckers. Whereas we had fresh audience and it was just like a few metres away.
1: Yeah.
2: It was just like, but out of the box, literally out of the box. And um, Quinn (laughs) threw a tantrum at me, for calling, you and Mike just disrespected the cute. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, because Dynamite came up, saw what we were doing was like, yeah i like what you're doing could i join you i was
1: like yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> you nice think? nice so uh, quick uh, change the topic how did you find yourself um stuck in panama at the beginning of covid what happened
2: yeah basically i i was in i'll start the story from london where i was aware because it was like march that we early march that we had i was aware of coronavirus in because yeah you know, and you come close to home there was like talk about it being all over london because of chinese new year mm. and i had two friends that had been flo- uh, sent back from china on gigs they were out there were on contracts for a month and they were sent home early so i was like fuck that's heavy shit yeah, maybe, maybe I should cancel this gig to Panama. Like, maybe some shit's gonna go down. Maybe, and I would like to, go, you know, got like the premonition about that. Like, yeah. Hmm. And I, I focused on the festival, trying trying to sort of go. oh, I'm not going to enjoy this festival. It's going to be shit. And if I ask people that've gone, it's like, um, you know, sh- I'm thinking of not go going, and they're like, no, you got to go. You'll love it. So. Off I went. Uh yeah, got on a plane and uh turned up at this gig, had a lovely two weeks, COVID hit. Mm. And then instead of leaving, we had to stay an extra week. Some people stayed at the festival site for an extra two months or three months.
1: Actually. And how long? How long did you have to you stay for?
2: So I, I was on the beach in the jungle for three weeks and I was in Panama for 100 days, just over three months.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, so you, you came back and you started your uh, your parkour business?
2: Yeah, well, came back and just was like, this, is, this isn't a lockdown. Everyone was just outside, mm-hmm. like partying on the, in the parks. Of London, London was just so busy and mm. vibrant, and everyone was out on the streets. Right. And they were all they were all talking about being in lockdown. Like, you know, we've been in lockdown for months. And I'm like, uh, you haven't been oh, yeah. weird... not
1: actual, not machine gun lockdown.
2: Yeah, you haven't been in lockdown.
1: Yeah, and I uh, and is uh, uh, I know it's the middle of winter, but uh, shows were starting to happen again uh, in, in England.
2: No, not for, like, six weeks later, because it got back in Hmm.
1: mid-June.
2: Might not have been six weeks. About, like, maybe... Yeah, maybe four to six weeks before we even started, and it was really small starts, you know. But when I came back in June, everybody was out, but you couldn't... Well, you could have done shows, I guess, but... um, People were, were... well like now they're doing shows in parks rather than... yeah in fact yeah the city center was dead
1: yeah but you... yeah you can you can do shows in places where people can spread out and you can kind of do like a you know like a picnic show you know you can get out there and just go where people are and let them sit where they want to sit you know kind of crowd them or anything and you can do your show and you just kind of present it it's like hey i'm here i'm doing a show and and, you know, five minutes in, everyone's like, wow, this guy's good. Yeah. You know, you just kind of, you just got to break that threshold of um, not being on a pitch. You know, you know hey, I'm, I'm in a place where shows don't normally happen, but hey. What's the, what's the longest time in pandemic
2: you've gone between doing shows?
1: I get probably the very beginning. Um, uh, I guess from March... 14th to i think i did i started doing shows again in august so that's like april May, June, july almost five months and then i did a month of shows by the beach um but then i got too cold and there wasn't many people there anymore um and then i did like september october november so yeah probably the five months because then i started doing shows again in in december yeah um that's yeah. that's a long long time that's a long yeah, time it is and you know, and what i've what i've been doing now is when i did shows in august i like videotaped myself a few times so that when i went to start doing shows again i could watch the videotape and remember what i do and uh and basically yeah. in, i did that i yeah. did that yeah i've never done that before but i was kind of um, like shit i need to no I tell a lie
2: i've done that before actually
1: i mean there's i, I mean I, I i script out my show like i have like scripts from all different years and whatever and I, here's my current script i can read it and go okay but if i watch a video of it it just sticks much better in my head you know if i'm out there i mean obviously when you're out there it just kind of falls out of your mouth um so you've got your script written down oh do yeah I've, I've got a i've got it like a science mate <laughs> It's like a science. It's like, I've got, a, I've got my whole script. I've got where the lines are. I've got where the laughs are, where the applause is. Um, if a line is a joke, if it's, uh, if it's a setup, if it's a punchline, if it's a promise, if it's an instruction, different colors, different, I've got all rhythm, like paced out. Like, oh, man, I've, I treat it like a science. Like and if, if a sentence has too many words, I'll look at it and I'll go hammer, which words can I take out of that sentence? If a joke has too many words, which, which words can I take out of that joke? So it's still funny, but i don't have to say as many words. You know, I, I treat my my show like basically I'm just constantly editing it. Yeah. And do you transcribe from video or do you
2: like pre-write and then perform and then
1: I mean it's it's been like an evolve an, an evolving thing. Like every year I'll have some kind of new script. Um, but, yeah, it comes from videotaping, transcribing, and then going through and going. Um, there's a section there where there's, there's not enough laughs, so I need to put a joke there. There's a section where there's not enough applause. So my, my, my show is constantly talking. It's like it's talking, joke, talking, yeah. applause, talking, joke, talking, applause. It's just constant, just keeps doing this. It's just this rhythm. Yeah. Um, and I've done that from from scripting brilliant yeah
2: i my only way of sort of um honing that pace and that rhythm and that structure is to just you know play so often that it yeah, yeah. becomes second nature and you know and like just drilled into your yeah. muscle me- muscle memory you know?
1: yeah my resting res- is with our, with our, our job as entertainers, once we've done our show, it's gone, right? And so, if you want to remember it, you have to either film it or record it yeah. if you want to remember it later. So that's that's how I that's how I, I go. Okay, I'm gonna that that five o'clock show tomorrow is gonna be killer. I'm gonna get the video camera ready. I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna do all the jokes. I'm gonna just really ham it up. I'm gonna get that, and then when I get home, I'm gonna transcribe and uh, and then. And then I'm going to look at the script and go, what can I add? What can I subtract? What's irrelevant? You know? Um, wow. and that's amazing. That's just. <laughs> that's, that like, is, that's just one of my many techniques. Like, there's, there's so many. <laughs> but, yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I don't even, like, if I'm really honest, I don't even do that every lesson for the parkour academy and that's still quite new and fresh but i was definitely mm. doing that from july when i got back i was like i'm gonna yeah start the parkour academy and i started designing the course and then so because it was new i would like make notes and go back and like see what i can improve but of course mm. have a deep have a debrief with my instructors my coaching staff and like get feedback take notes in the meeting and um you know th- that that you know, it's not even six months and I, I, that's died off. You know, I need, I need an hour pep talk. Like, yeah. Just, you know, I need you to, I need you to like text me every few weeks and just go, have you reviewed your program through like pen and paper and note taking? Have you videoed your sessions?
1: Yeah. Oh, there's so much that can be learned from videoing yourself and watching yourself and reading what you write, you know, just reading through your show. And then and you just come up with things like you read through and you'll just be like, Oh, that's oh, got an idea for a new joke. Just from reading my, my script, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I think it's important because you, you coach better, you perform better, you speak better when you put in that huge amount of preparation. Yeah. Preparation is all the work. Like the performing is that's, that's just the result. Yeah. Mm. maybe that's my specialty is uh preparation well
2: you know what where's the inspiration where's the room for inspiration and just kind of like you know channeling just being out there and doing something that you didn't even know was in you just came through you you know where well basically i
1: I look at that as i look at that as like you know i have my show's path my structure I know what's going to happen but um there's room for me to divert off that path if there's a helicopter there's room for me to play with the helicopter do some lines if there's uh, an ambulance there's room for me to divert but I know that I got to come back to that path you know Um, so that's that's what it is for me as soon as that moment is has passed and it isn't funny anymore back to the path back to the structure you know so yeah, that's that's how I am able to kind of be um, in, improvise bits in, inside within the show without being too rigid on on sticking to the script, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but outside of that, outside of the show, writing. I don't know. Just some days I just have like just writing. Like one day I was sitting at the pitch, and um and I just thought I'm going to write a new walk by line for every walk-by line that's out there right I, okay yes. so there's two guys walking by well, what's I was the so
2: you answered my telepathic question
1: yeah so there's two guys walking by what's the standard joke uh, you can hold hands we accept it now uh okay so now i need i need to write a new joke for those two guys there's a two old ladies walking past uh these are my dancing girls right so now i need to write a new joke for those two old ladies so i just I was just just one day, just this brainstorm session, sitting at the pitch, thinking of all yep. the different people that we make jokes about and different jokes that we could say about them. Two old ladies walk past. These are my internet stalkers. They're my biggest fans. You know, just 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 something else, just anything else. Um, and the way the way you do it is you you have to tell a little story about those people in your head. Someone walks by, and you practice. You just you go. Okay, there's a guy. What's his story? Where's he from? Where's he going? And you just tell a story until you find something funny, and then you reduce that whole story down to that one funny thing.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And it and if
2: there's um, nothing of note about his story, then you make the story create the story by interaction, which is either blocking or following. Like so, you either interfere or you um, follow you know you're like I'm led by it you c- could be cu- curious about his story or his dress
1: yeah
2: or you or you kind of like you know block them I yeah I've uh yeah had some fun with covid with walk-by lines it's good mm-hmm. was, my favorite was uh show us your face love get your face out for the. <laughs> <lap>. <laughs> oh,
1: that's great <laughs> yeah, nice. No. Oh man, yeah, it's a different world, but you know things are, uh, you know, high, high-fiving people.
2: I'm doing that. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. uh, that is very funny. Crowd build. it's like, I suppose someone walking. You only high-five someone in a mask. So someone wearing a mask outdoors, and they're like, walk through your show and go, yo, high-five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a different world, but, you know, like, um, I don't know about you, but, like, I've been getting inquiries for events and gigs and stuff for this year. So that's that's nice to see. It's a good sign. And I think, you know, oh. mid-summer, late summer, we might be able to be out there again, and we might be able to do some events this year. Um, and, but, yeah. but I think we're, as Donald Trump used to say, we're rounding the turn. I think we're rounding the turn. <laughs> um you know this year and so maybe 2022 will be more of a normal year this will be a different year again but I think we'll at least be performing this year um what are your plans for this year
2: um just to like yeah make it through to spring at the moment and um in spring I think that there'll be shows to be heard even if it's just in the park Mm. and even if you had to do it I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what I can do to survive the parkour academy in in spring and summer presumably is going to be great but shows shows is going to be like I think interesting like where's where's going to be the pitch and Mm. you know how we're going to play I think I'm going to probably do a little stage on a on a canal boat, river boat, and just mm. do play to people on the riverside.
1: That's cool. And,
2: you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it a for, it's a time for
1: innovation. it's a time for innovation. It's a time for newness and freshness.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Just like think outside the box. You know, find a new paradigm, which Everybody. I think. is I think it's going to be on the riverside um lots of music mm. live music street shows and uh, you know more like a petri dish of you know different cultural happenings not just like this in your groove your yeah even covent garden itself is divided up to circle acts magicians mus- musicians yeah like why why isn't there just a, a space that you know there's a there's a brass band on and then there's a yeah. a mime a mime artist next you know
1: yeah yeah more so. it'd be it'd be more more fresh and more unique and different that would be cool more of a mix so can
2: i ask you a question what have you you're so kind of like you know The archetypal embodiment of like the successful street for you that's what what you do but have you ever thought of like the exit strategies of like for me i've got my teacher coaching and also do a bit production work so i've always thought when i'm too old or just Mm. you know as a exit strategy if it if all the pitches get closed down
1: yeah yeah well Um, for me um you know i've been thinking about that a lot lately and what i already have in place but
2: but my my question is i know what lately you've done which is to become a teacher of yeah yeah but but what before covid or just like growing older like you know years ago did you ever think like uh, do you invest in i know you like you know got a house but did you like have investments or like do you like have another exit another
1: yeah I do. I do. Um, basically, for the last uh almost 20 years I've been investing in in property. I've been taking my money and buying property rental properties um, and that's always been my retirement plan is you know how to have income without performing and I, I have that and but I have a goal that I want to reach per month, and I'm still not there, so this year I'm probably gonna, I'm going to buy a new another building. Um, and I'll probably get to that point that I want to get to the goal and that goal is that's my exit strategy. That's where this is how much I want to make a month without yeah. working so that I don't have to worry about doing shows. And then I can do shows if I want to, and I can, I can coach performers as, as kind of a, you know, not so much as a way to make a living, but mm. as a, as a way to help people and, uh, and do something that I like, you know, cause I like I like being able to solve. if someone comes to me with a problem, I like being able to go, "Oh, all you have to do is this." Like it's it's so yeah. simple to me. Um, so I like that for for you know for my um, for my head and for what I love. But for like you know exit strategy as far as making a living, it's all about the real estate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't. E- I. I, I know that's exactly what i asked about i said
2: like exit strategy and that was an answer, but what other um interest like so i mean are you interested in building and like carpentry or like yeah. would you like yeah would that be that be your thing make making the property working full-time on developing the property and interior decorating and you know
1: hmm. um i don't know so much of that but uh but no, I've been into woodworking the last few years and I'm into um, jiu-jitsu as well. Um, yeah. So those are two things I, I enjoy. Jiu-jitsu is something, is, you know, you also have that camaraderie. It's like having a whole new group of friends too Yeah. Right. Uh, that aren't performers. Um, yeah. And and the, and the woodworking is something that I like to do just by, alone, you know. I like to figure out how to make something um, on my own. And, and that's just, you know, I just kind of, just space out and and make something and um, I'm spending, you know, time outside in the sun, doing something fun that isn't performing. Um, So I like doing that. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm at a point after a year of not really doing too many shows where I'm like, what, what the hell am I? Who am I? Like, what is it I like? What is it I am? Um, And it's hard to know
2: yeah my my um exit strategies were both were still involving people um gathering (laughs) yeah it was like hospitality i could go into like managing managing a venue that yeah makes people happy it's like it's a natural like same kind of industry Mm. you know and so working in production stage managing and being an organizer or a producer it's like still yeah i've got to gather people <laughs> <laughs> well um, it's
1: like it, the, obviously the parkour that...
2: like the one aspect that I was like oh yeah out, outdoors coaching people generally in small groups that are spaced out because they're doing you know acrobatic stuff yeah mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. i could do in a pandemic okay parkour yeah. academy
1: go <laughs> nice nice so um, before we before we financial <laughs> before we uh, we end uh, all this, I just wanted to ask you uh, one last thing. Um, so, of all, for all the years that you've been performing, and all the places you've been, all the shows you've seen, all the shows you've done, um, what's the one thing that street performers need to know before they they get into this business? they need to like be
2: grateful for um what they get like just play the room and be happy with whatever it is if you get a crowd of seven people and they pay you seven quid just go wicked what can i do with this don't don't go um that's 93 pounds short of my goal because mm-hmm. you'll be miserable yeah if you want to be happy then just be you know be grateful for what you get and work with it make more of it you know spend that seven quid on a hat to make you look better for the next show.
1: Yeah, That's that's great advice that's cool nice one buddy well, thanks for uh, doing this. This has been awesome hearing about AJ James, one of my heroes.
2: Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a privilege. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah, you're a big inspiration, man. You're a legend.
1: And uh, yeah, you too, man. Yeah. Thanks for doing thanks, this.
2: Thanks for showing us how it's done.
0: Thank you for me so- Al shared a photo from the pitch in Sydney from back in 1997 they will be posted on the episode page on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can also watch the interview on our YouTube channel. You'll find a link in the episode notes. As always, if you'd like to support the podcast and show off the cool new design, head on over to our online store where you'll find t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. Thanks again to those of you who have already made purchases. Speaking of supporting the podcast, if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast and know someone who would, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. You can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw the love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com forward slash Stories. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Your support will allow us to get episodes out more frequently and improve the quality of the recordings. Music for the podcast came from Free Lover. You can subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend and give us a five-star review. It'll help get us noticed, and we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed or you feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can. It's up to you to help fill in the gaps. So on behalf of myself, Al Miller for capturing the interview, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame, remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening.